This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm so delighted you're here. I started self-work a little more than four years ago in order to try to address some of the ignorance and just misunderstanding about what therapy is, what psychologists have to offer. So I wanted to reach those of you who might already be very comfortable with psychological or emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy, but also to those of you who've just been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or certainly in this pandemic, you're beginning to experience those very things. And there are a lot of people who are, but also to a third group, those of you who might laugh and say, oh, I'd never darken the door of a therapist, but you're just curious enough to listen in. I'm glad all of you are here. Today's podcast was actually born from the feeling I had to confront in myself to produce this week's podcast. It's not that I didn't want to do it, but I was completely blocked on what to write. And as I tried a couple of different topics, none of them seemed right. Nothing bad had happened the week before to spark this ennui, which is a French word for somewhere between listlessness and lack of motivation. I've always liked that word, ennui. Sure, I'd had my share of disappointments or irritations for the week, but generally I'm a blessings counter, so I survived that. I had a good cry about what seemed to be holiday plans that are falling through due to our concern about COVID as a family. While that is very hard, it's not the end of the world. So what was stopping me? I just didn't get it. Why was I beginning to pummel myself with negative questions and thoughts were going down a very negative rabbit hole? Is it really worth it? Should I stop the podcast? Aren't 207 episodes enough? People are probably going to get tired of listening anyway, and it's better to leave with an audience wanting more than to get yanked off the stage because your run or your time is over. Frankly, I figured out I was ruminating, and I don't do that very often. Then all of a sudden, I realized with a smile that, once again, my own life had given me a topic. I just had to get quiet enough to find it. I'd stumbled on the very thing that would be easy to talk about, because so many of us are spending hours ruminating about COVID, about politics, about the future, about finances, about jobs. The list is endless. So today, in this episode, sponsored once again by BetterHelp, we're going to talk about rumination. Is it ever helpful Or is it something where your brain is just on a treadmill, going nowhere fast? The listener email is different this week in format. I was very touched by a woman named Kat Cardy, C-A-R-D-Y, who's an artist in the UK. She sent me both a poem she'd written and the artwork to go along with it, all based on her identification with perfectly hidden depression. I asked her permission to use it, and she said, yes, it's lovely, and my heart was very full when I read it. I also had a great experience just this morning, in fact. I was interviewed on a podcast called Seize the Moment by two New Yorkers, Alan Ullman and Leon Garber. What I didn't know was that they'd both not only read the book, but identified themselves on the spectrum of perfectly hidden depression. In fact, Leon revealed that he himself had at one time been suicidal, had told a psychiatrist there was something wrong, but the doctor just looked at him and said, what? No way. You're not depressed. Because Leon is a very verbal, friendly guy. We've got to stop that kind of thing from happening. That's why I wrote the book. 
So they brought their own experience to the interview, and I learned so much from them. I haven't featured all the interviews I've been honored to do here at Self Work, but this one meant a lot, and I thought you would enjoy hearing their stories. So I'll include its link in the show notes for those of you who'd like to listen in. So I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad I made it through my own indecisiveness and negativity, and we'll talk about rumination, and as always, what you can do about it. In the intro, I talked about how I was very stuck in trying to produce today's podcast. I sat in my chair for hours, writing, rewriting, deleting, thinking. My mind was trying to figure out what the problem was. Why couldn't I just sit down and write more like normal? It's because my thoughts had turned ruminative. They'd taken on a life of their own. What exactly is rumination and how is it different from just obsessional thinking? The Webster definition of an obsession is the domination of one's thoughts or feelings by a persistent idea, image, desire, etc. So obsessions are thinking the same thoughts over and over. I'm obsessing about whether or not my date is going to text me back, for example, or I can't stop thinking about what I made on the test. Your mind goes over and over and over the same question or idea. That can lead to what's called a compulsion or an action that you take to relieve the anxiety of the obsessive thought. You check your phone. You look up constantly whether or not the professor has listed the grades. Now, in actual OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, which is when obsessive thoughts begin to control your life, you can have obsessions that lead to time-sucking compulsions. For example, you obsess whether or not you lock the doors at night. That leads to a compulsion to go check the locks. But then you have to do it over and over. And they can be much more severe than that and completely govern someone's life. It's a terrible disorder to have. Rumination is different. Of course, I looked it up like I always do. And there's an expert named Dr. Michael Greenberg, who's a psychologist who specializes in OCD. And he states this. When I talk about rumination, I'm talking about any type of mental engagement with a problem. Put another way, I'm talking about shifting into problem-solving mode. This includes analyzing, mental reviewing, mental checking, visualizing, monitoring, and even directing attention toward the problem. Crucially, all of these mental processes are controllable. They don't happen to us. We do them on purpose. I got a little confused with this because he also says that in his thinking, rumination isn't obsession, it's a compulsion, something you feel you have to do. Or as he says, a mental engagement with a problem. But I think his main message is that you can choose not to ruminate, and his treatment strategy is to learn to prevent yourself from following through with compulsive behavior. But basically, my rumination during this week was triggered by my confusion about a topic for the week and beginning to feel a little panicked. That led me to, as Dr. Greenberg would say, becoming mentally engaged with a problem as I decided to travel down all kinds of paths about stopping or the podcast value, whether or not I was on a good track. You can call it getting lost in thought, but it's not exactly the same as active problem solving because you can hear the downward spiral in my own thinking. If I'd not been able to get it stopped, I might have led myself to believe that I was going to lose every listener I had and I might as well sell my podcasting equipment because, as they say, the gig is up. Rumination isn't pleasant. It's mostly negative. And if you do it too much, it can itself lead to depression. 
Now, I did find one study that said rumination could be helpful if you were focused on action, not mental activity. So you were coming up with ideas about what to do, but not focusing only on the ins and outs of the problem. So what kinds of situations might lead someone to ruminate? In an article by Medical News Today, they list potential triggers as a specific stressor such as a failed relationship. So your rumination would sound like, is it my fault? What happened? I see a lot of this with people trying to remove themselves from narcissistic relationships. They think and think and think, all the while using so much energy that they exhaust themselves. You might want to check out a recent podcast that I did on trauma bonding. So the second potential trigger is a recent traumatic event. You again can get stuck ruminating about the why and you'll never find an answer that explains it all. Perfectionism itself can be a source of rumination. You know, you can think you're going to find the perfect solution or if you just analyze something over and over and over again, it helps you feel in control somehow. Low self-esteem can also trigger rumination because you say things to yourself like, I can't trust my own judgment, so I better really think this through and try to come up with everything that might happen. Or you also can just ruminate about your own lack of worth. Another potential trigger is an upcoming stressful event, such as final exams or a major performance. You can ruminate over how you're going to ensure success or the potential for failure. Then they give two more, facing a fear or phobia, which means like a maybe a person's very afraid of needles and they have to have a blood test. Or maybe you're awaiting information about a potentially life-changing event, such as medical test results or a loan approval. Those were the triggers that they mentioned. Although I've seen in other places and other articles the idea that rumination always has something to do with the past, this list of triggers includes the past, but also includes the present and even the future. Because you can definitely ruminate about what's to come. Rumination can be tied in with several different mental illnesses, depression, anxiety, OCD, phobias, PTSD, psychotic disorders. But really, what's the danger of it? I looked to Dr. Guy Winch, who actually I have quoted before on self-work, and he says, Ruminating is considered a maladaptive form of self-reflection, so it's just not good for you, because it offers few new insights and it only intensifies the emotional and psychological distress we already feel. And then he starts talking about that there are significant risks to our mental and physical health. It can lead to becoming depressed. You can almost become addicted to ruminating. It can lead to greater alcohol abuse or smoking weed or just trying to escape in some way or another. Rumination is also associated with a greater risk of eating disorders because you ruminate and then you begin using food to either manage those distressing feelings or you don't eat in order to control those feelings. If it obviously builds in negative thinking, He also points out, this was interesting, that rumination fosters impaired problem solving. He quotes a study that women who have ruminative tendencies who found a lump in their breast waited too much longer than non-ruminators to schedule a breast exam. That's interesting because you can get caught in the feelings and the fear and the ruminating about the fear and then you don't do anything about it. And then, of course, it also just raises your stress level. And that has all kinds of ramifications for immunological disease or cardiovascular disease. But you know, we always talk about what you can do about it here on Self Work. 
So before we do that, let's hear from BetterHelp about a special offer they have for you today. BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of Self Work for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone. And I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast. Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions, but then I learned about better help in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now, and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now, BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. Trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, Maybe better help is your next step. As always on Self Work, we talk about what you can do about it. So let's dig into this. What can you do to stop your own mind from spending way too much time on a problem? I'll add my two bits onto another article I found today in Psych Today by Catherine Gordon. She says, you have to recognize first that rumination is different than problem solving or planning. Those are active coping strategies, but you really don't form an action with rumination. And many of you have heard me say before that insight is helpful because it helps you connect the dots and maybe you understand something, but where you get your hope is from action. I've had people who are trying to catch themselves from ruminating, they'll put a rubber band around their wrist. And when they think, wait a minute, I've been thinking about this for five minutes, they'll just snap it just to kind of remind them, don't do that. One of the things I do when I find myself just going over and over something that either I'm ashamed of or embarrassed about, I'll ask myself, I even say it out loud, is this helpful? Is this helpful to me today? The answer is always no. It's not thinking at all, and so then I turn on the radio or listen to a podcast. And this brings up another point. Distraction can help. Distraction gets a really bad rap, I think, as if it's not a pure way to heal or somehow a second-class citizen to more mature or healthy techniques. That's not true in my book. Sometimes when my mind wants to ruminate about something or I'm stuck on something, I'll do a little Netflix searching or get engrossed in another world. It's not that the problem isn't there afterward, but I've gained some distance from it and some perspective. 
Miss Gordon also says, stop fighting with your thoughts. And again, we have talked about this a lot here on self-work. Actually, when you try to stop your thinking, you're increasing your thinking. You are feeding it or fueling it somehow. Just like if someone says, don't think about a white bear, and all you can think about are white bears. So I like to actually name my anxiety or my rumination in this instance. And I learned this technique from Reed Wilson out of North Carolina. And then you can kind of notice when, let's say it's Oscar or Felicia, anything other than your own name. And then you've got to go up. Oscar's talking to me. I see your back. And then gently distract yourself. But that gives you a little distance from that sense of rumination. Again, it's a technique I use all the time with anxiety. And rumination can certainly cause anxiety. If perfectionism is one of your issues and the reason why you ruminate, you want to really gauge the irrationality of your thoughts. Are you following rules that may have kept you safe in the past, but are now preventing you from living a freer life? So instead of ruminating about it, you can begin to actually write things down in black and white. Journaling can really help. And that actually leads us directly to the next one. Plan daily rumination time. I've called this in the past a worry journal. Because what you're doing, you're saying like, okay, at 6.30 this morning, every morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever you decide, I'm going to get out a journal and I'm going to write everything that I'm worried about or that I'm tending to ruminate about. And then I'm going to close the journal after 15 minutes and I'm going to try not to ruminate again that day. Or if you do, you just jot it down and say, I'll write about this tomorrow morning. Because you're honoring what you're thinking about. You know, you're honoring that there's some issue in your life that is troubling to you. But at the same time, you're corralling it. You're not letting it just seep all over everything. And it really helps to say, you know, I don't have to think about this right now. I will save it for tomorrow morning. You can use mindfulness Or if you are a person of faith, you can use prayer. AA really pushes the serenity prayer, and that may be an organization you don't care for, or it may have saved someone's life that you know and love. But the serenity prayer goes like this. You want to accept the things you cannot change, the courage to change the things you can, and wisdom to know the difference. I'll say that again. I want to accept the things I cannot change. I need courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Obviously, what you can do about ruminating is you can talk to somebody else about a problem and gain their perspective. But you have to be careful, and I'd never heard of this, but it makes all the sense in the world. She says, beware of co-rumination, meaning whoever you're talking to just engages with you in extensively discussing and revisiting the problems and speculating about them and focusing on negativity. It can almost be this bond that you're just always talking about something negative. So that's not good. I'd never actually heard about that. Didn't know it had a name. So I hope those are helpful to you in trying to determine how you could begin to stop ruminating or at least corral it, as we said, with a worry journal or a rumination journal, because it's not active problem solving. It may be important, maybe somehow some of the questions I asked myself over the weekend when I was trying to produce this podcast were important for me to ask. But it was leading me nowhere that was really going to be productive or creative. And by the way, I love doing this podcast. So I have no intention 
of stopping. I just got a little bit tired and down. (laughs) That happens. As I said in the intro, the listener email today was really different. I heard from a woman named Kat Cardi out of the UK, and she sent me a poem that she had written, basically identifying with perfectly hidden depression and self-work. As she said that self-work is like an unlocking. So this is her email, and then I'll read you her poem, and the poem can be found in its entirety in the show notes. I've been listening back through your podcast, currently at episode 39, so I still have a way to go, but your show has already had an effect on me. I was listening earlier when the symbolism of self-work as unlocking came to mind, prompting the following sketches and poem. I hope you don't think it's too weird if I share them with you. Something tells me you may be able to appreciate where they're coming from. Thanks for all your amazing work, patience, kindness, and strength. And this is the poem. Unlocking. Unlocking doesn't happen all at once. First, there's just emptiness, a lack, a missing, a guarding, a hardening. The reason unknown, but its presence noted. Pain caused, joy blocked, love evaded, disconnect. Hurt encapsulated in silt, till a heavy rock replaces the alive and vibrant. Continuing, unexamined, or else denied outright, and the lock stays shut. But should attention settle here, intention stop to lend some care. Either lock or key or both is found, a mystery perhaps, but with meaning profound. Then one day it clicks. You may not even realize it, but inch by inch that great key turns, that frozen for years, begins to stir. A fraction here. I see you, dear. A sliver there. I know you're near. That solid rock which spirit hid, oh, so slowly, turns clear instead. Inching forth, I feel your hurt. And turning more, I know your worth. Glowing embers rekindle again, the breath of attention nursing flame. Till one day, the lock falls away. That light of a soul kept hidden so long shines forth like a beacon. I'm here. I belong. That great treasure guarded all these years, finally displayed for all to see. A fragile thing, alive and singing. A bird, uncaged, released, and free. Unlocking doesn't happen all at once, but it can happen if you are patient kind and strong isn't that lovely i just love the rhythm of it i love the words that she so carefully uses and i love the whole concept of self-work as an unlocking and certainly the work you have to do in perfectly hidden depression is definitely that thank you cat so much i appreciate it more than you know And I know all of you listeners do as well. Thank you all for being here today. I really appreciate it more than you know. You continue to offer ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and other places for self-work. 
and I love reading what you have to say. I see that some of you are therapists, and you're actually using self-work in your own work with patients, and that honors me incredibly. So thank you for that. And the book, (laughs) the book is trudging along. And as I said, I did this very meaningful interview with two young men from New York who both had read it because it applied to them. And when I hear that, when I hear people say, I have had to control everything in my life, I've had to feel like I was perfectly put together or that I had my life planned and organized. And I read your book and I realized I can have a freer, more open, more self-accepting life. That realization means the world to me and makes me so happy that the topic of perfectly hidden depression found me and that I was able to write about it and was allowed to write about it. You can reach me at lots of different places. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. I've started a closed Facebook group, and we have about 2,500 members right now. There are people from all over the world. It's a very supportive group. No politics, no religious advice allowed, but other than that, it's a really great place. We have all kinds of diverse situations that people are bringing to try to get some help. So that's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com, and I will do my best to answer your email. I do read all of them. And of course, you are my best marketing team. Just telling your friends and family about what self-work means to you, maybe about the book, if you think it's appropriate. I thank you and am very grateful to you for doing that. So I'll see you next week. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.